Hey everyone, welcome to the Resolutions Podcast, where we like to turn difficult topics into helpful conversations. I'm your host, Chris Campbell. In this episode of the Resolutions Podcast, we want to shift our thinking toward the Christmas season. And specifically, we're going to highlight the essential mental health facet known as altruism. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, altruism is when we act to promote someone else's welfare in sacrificial ways. So we're talking about helping others, but but it's more than that. So let me break that definition down a little further. Altruism is the selfless concern for and devotion to the well-being of others. It's, it's being intentional about noticing needs and meeting needs in specific and purposeful ways. Now, we all know that it's a good thing to be kind and help others, but what many people are unaware of is that altruism is actually a basic component of your personal mental health and emotional wellness. So, uh, by way of further introduction, let me offer you five basic examples of how altruism, intentionally and sacrificially helping others, can impact your mental health in very positive ways. Number one, altruism, uh, or helping others to feel good, changes the way our brain actually works. Uh, there is neurological evidence to suggest that when you help others, it can promote physiological changes in the brain linked with satisfaction, joy, and peace. Number two, altruism creates a sense of belonging and reduces isolation. We all know the holiday season can be a challenge for many people. Uh, especially this year. We are still recovering from a pandemic where isolation still exists. The holidays can also be a, a, a reminder of lost relationships and grief. The financial challenges of 2022 may make it impossible to spend Christmas in person with loved ones. But when we volunteer, we help others, especially around the holidays, it can help us feel a sense of belonging. We make new friends. We have connections. We submerse ourselves in community. Face-to-face uh, -face activities such as hands-on volunteering, organizing donation initiatives, assisting nonprofits and undersourced ministries has been proven to reduce personal loneliness and isolation. Number three, altruism helps to keep things in perspective. Now, many people don't realize the impact that a different perspective or a shift to a positive perspective can have on their overall outlook on life. Helping others, especially those underprivileged and underserved, can help put things into perspective and provide a conduit for you to channel your blessings into the lives of others who need a miracle. You know, there's an old saying, I'm blessed to be a blessing. This is so, so true, especially concerning the Christian faith. Uh, there's evidence that being aware of our own ability to add to the quality of life of others, especially when it is a sacrificial act on your part, generates an experience of 
gladness, optimism, and satisfaction. Doing good may help you have a more positive outlook just in general. Or as Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Number four, altruism helps to make the world a friendlier place and it's contagious. Acts of kindness have the potential to make the world a happier place. You know, an act of kindness can reinforce what we clinically refer to as an internal locus of control. Uh, that is, human beings, through our free will, we have the ability to create a better future and opportunities for those we choose to love. The idea of a fate dissipates when altruism is initiated. This again leaves us with a greater sense of, of confidence and agency, contentment, and cheerfulness. It may also encourage others to repeat the good deed that they've experienced themselves or to imitate your kind acts, contributing to a more positive society. Number five, the more you do for others, the more you do for yourself mentally and spiritually. Studies, again, show that the benefits of helping others can last long after the act itself, both for you and the recipients. So altruism is a pretty big deal with huge mental and spiritual benefits. And with these aspects in mind, Today's show dials in on one of the most overlooked and isolated groups in the world today. Specifically, we're going to talk about those who are incarcerated. So, uh, now that you know a little something about altruism, out of all the options you have to direct your Christmas cheer this season, I want to take this podcast to raise your awareness of the needs of those who are jailed and likewise the needs of family members on the outside. Our guest today is a special friend, Chaplain Ben. Out of respect for Ben's position as a chaplain at a high security prison, we are going with the first name only. Uh, ben has a unique story of how he became a prison chaplain. Uh, and Ben has a distinct calling and very useful insight into the prison population here in the United States. I asked Ben if he would be our guest on the Resolutions podcast for one of our special 2022 Christmas episodes, where he can enlighten our listeners to the challenges of prison life, both for inmates and their families. Uh, ben graciously accepted the invitation. So as you, as you listen to this discussion, keep in mind altruism. At the end of the show, we'll have some closing thoughts and some helpful information regarding holiday support for prisons, prisoners, and their families. We'll also have some useful links to explore further avenues into serving this overlooked population. And with that, we pick up on a conversation with Chaplain Ben. All right, well, Chaplain Ben, welcome to the podcast, man. Good to have you on with us today. Uh, thank you, sir. Um, recent listener of your resolution of podcast after we kind of talked several months ago, I've been kind of checking you guys out. So uh, slowly but surely becoming a fan. So thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, man, it's uh, it's our pleasure. Um, this has been a, a subject matter that uh, is is really near and, and dear to my heart. Uh, I think it's really important, you know, that this is an aspect of of what we cover, uh, you know, just with mental health awareness, uh, not just from the perspective of, you know, we're going to specifically talk about the incarcerated, but also uh, for for loved ones, uh, you know, who, uh, who who await their release on the outside or who worry about their care and uh, and, you know, what they're going through on the inside. Of, uh, of a correction facility. So it's, uh, it's a blessing to have you on here today. I, I need to say up front that your position requires confidentiality and uh, we're going to respect that. Um, and so uh, we'll, we'll be sure to, to give a, a double check on the, on the final audio uh, recording. But uh, you and I have had a friendship that's uh, lasted over the years, and you've had a really unusual path, I think, into the position you currently hold as a chaplain at a high security prison. Uh, If you would give our listeners an overview of how you ended up uh, in corrections and you ultimately became a chaplain, Ben. Okay, well, that's a good question. And uh, I I often make the joke. I guess to myself and to others that that nobody grows up as a little kid or at least none that I've met that says, man, I I just can't wait to be an adult and work in a prison. I haven't haven't met that person yet. And I've worked in corrections for uh, going on a couple of decades now. So I just, I don't encounter that. Uh, If that person is out there, I just haven't met them. But uh, so for me, um, you know, as a, as a young adult uh, going into my undergrad, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I kind of bounced around between um, uh, civil engineering and also uh, some physical education and then uh, ultimately landing into criminal justice uh, and got my undergrad in criminal justice. Um, So uh, I was in the military for a while. And uh, after getting out of the military uh, as a military police officer, uh, I needed money. Uh, I was broke. So they were building a new prison in the area that I live in. Uh, one of my friends that he was actually a pipe fitter uh, at he was in the pipe fitters union building the prison. And he said, hey, hey, man, they're hiring uh, army vets up there if you're interested in making some money. And so I said, sure, I'll apply. Um, I need some money. And, you know, I guess, you know, my my ultimate goal was just to be there for about a year, uh, get some money and kind of move out west. I, I ultimately kind of wanted to do like a national park service. That's uh-huh. what I wanted to do as a as a vocation. That was my, you know, my ideals of grandeur, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but, but life happened. I, I stayed in the area. I had kids and uh, they we kind of planted roots. Uh, so here I am about 18 years later, still, still at the same prison system. Um, as far as how I started there I was an officer. Uh, I, and then I kind of got into uh, the gym, uh, working in the gym. They, they employ people that work specifically in the gym area. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, later on, uh, in about 2016, uh, 2017, I felt called to serve others and uh, helped facilitate that by going and uh, enrolling in seminary. So yeah. got my degree, uh, Master's of Divinity, and uh, later applied to work there as a chaplain and, and was selected recently. Do you, do you remember the first time the thought of becoming a chaplain crossed your mind? Uh, that, that's a good question. I would say... I don't remember like a specific, um, I guess, date or time, but I can just tell you like the, the year was probably 2015. I think I started 
kind of getting into where I felt urged to serve others, uh, urged um, just just to have a more of a um, a role in discipleship. And so I, I think that I can say 2015, and I just kind of gradually started, uh, you know, checking into that to see what that might look like, that how that might uh, be applied uh, in my own life, in my own in my own areas, but. You know, I guess to be more direct about it, I just I felt called to serve uh, where I was at, and that's in my community, uh, at, at the local, at my local church, yeah. at my local hospitals. Yeah. Um, I did a, an internship as a chaplain, um, and at, at where I worked at as a as a prison chaplain. Yeah, uh, who'd you tell first? Do you remember? I, I do. I, I told the um, the chaplain, one of the chaplains that was there, that was employed there, I told that was the first person I told, uh, and I kind of bounced the idea off of him, like, hey, you know, I've been kind of thinking about this, and uh, you know, what do you think? How does that how how does that look like? How does that feel? You know, for a guy that already works here, and he was very encouraging, and he he kind of, uh, to be honest with you, he he kind of said, yeah, man, if if that's um, how you feel, if you feel called to serve, you know, I, I completely think it's something you should do. Uh, that's super good. You know, when that, uh, when that happens like that, how did, how did people, uh, close to you, like, uh, your family, friends, coworkers, how did they initially respond? Uh, well, so I'm a person that kind of plays everything, uh, close to the vest. So I didn't, I didn't really go out and announce it like on, uh, Hey, everybody, I'm going to apply, uh, to go to seminary and, and, uh, be a chaplain here in the local area. That wasn't something I did. Uh, and, and there was some tangible reasons for that. Um, I wasn't positive that I would get accepted into the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, my undergrad degree uh, in criminal justice, my GPA wasn't, it wasn't terrible, but it definitely wasn't amazing either. Um, so I wasn't sure that I would get accepted. Uh, so after applying and, and uh, praying that I would get accepted, I did. And, you know, I wanted to see um now I would have success. Uh, I have a large family and I have a lot of adulthood responsibilities and just to be able to kind of do the, um, do the coursework because it, it was, um, about 80 hours, how I could, how I could manage it all, um, how I could kind of make it all happen, but still uh, meet my responsibilities of, uh, as, as an adult, as a husband, as a father, I wasn't, to be honest with you, I wasn't sure how, how I could do it. So, yeah. um, so I just wanted to see first, uh, as I kind of entered the process and as I gradually kind of started, uh, to, to do well, to, to pass classes, I just kind of let people know gradually and they responded, um, you know, mostly with positive, uh, encouragement, like good for, good for you. If that's something that you feel called to do, then, you know, I support you. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of uh, people, at least in my face, say, you know, did you lose your mind? You want to be a prison chaplain? They, 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 they might have said that, uh, you know, behind closed doors, but it never got to me. Uh, so, you know, it, for me, I'm not a kind of guy that just jumps into a, a pool of water. Like uh, if it's cold and you kind of, you know, you have a, two options. You can kind of ease into a pool or you can just send it. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a guy that likes to ease into the pool. Yeah, like yeah. It's cold, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that that's kind of how I did it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we call that wisdom, by the way, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, you know, and, and I'm sure listeners are picking up on some of your, your verbiage here. Uh, you know, especially when you talk about a, a calling, you, you talk about your faith. Did you grow up in a Christian home? What's, what's your background there as far as, as your, your personal practice of the Christian faith? I did. I did grow up in a Christian home. Um, 
I came to profess Christ at an early age. Uh, I grew up in a, an independent Baptist church here and uh, in my local area and, and had a very, um, you know, encouraging and, and loving uh, household and family that uh, also um, had their faith in Christ. No, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, it it's it means such a such a big deal, right? Yeah, you know, especially yeah. as you get older and you look at what type of an environment you were you're able to be uh, brought up in and uh, how that faith is modeled and cultivated and stuff. So, thanks thanks for sharing that. Um so let's let's start with this. Um what does a day in the life of a prison chaplain look like? You know, what what does your job description entail? Uh what do you do? So that's a good question. And, and I probably for most listeners and even really most people that know me uh, and interact with me you know, outside of work on a regular basis, they would be pretty surprised at, at what it looks like uh, to be a prison chaplain. If I could uh, show the listeners a pie chart of like kind of what I do on a, on a, you know, a weekly basis, my hours per work per week and what is actual like, um, ministry that, you know, it would be a very small portion of, of my work week where a lot, a lot of it is correctional worker, um, in terms of, um, helping facilitate inmate movement, security oversight, and, uh, kind of help, uh, get them to where they need to be and what they need to do. And, and for the listeners out there, when you're, uh, maybe you're, maybe you are, maybe you're not familiar with, um, prison chaplaincy, but it is interfaith. It is pluralistic, meaning that, you know, I'm just not working with a group of Protestant uh, inmates only. There's um, Nation of Islam. There is more sounds simple of America, Orthodox Jewish, uh, Messianic Jewish, uh, Wiccan, uh, Odinist or Asatru, um, uh, Santeria. So uh, it, my, my position description requires me to help facilitate all of those faith groups and their meetings uh, and their sacraments and any kind of... Um, uh, what we call worship material that they might be able to have their meetings. Uh, so that is, you know, as far as where I work at, that's what they consider, um, you know, my actual chaplain duties. Um, I have to visit inmates uh, in what we call, uh, it's a restrictive housing area. These are inmates that uh, don't get to come out of their, uh, they, they don't get to interact with the general population. So I have to visit those guys uh, uh, once a week uh, minimum, uh, just as a round. And also, uh, you know, upon request, and that is included now that we have the COVID isolation areas. Uh, any any inmates that are into that, they they need um, you know weekly visits at minimum, and then also visits upon request. Yeah, I I, I think that's fascinating. Um, you know, the thing that comes to mind as you're describing that is is I imagine you know uh, prison chaplains being just a, a stabilizing presence. You know, especially when you're you're talking about the support that you're playing there, the corrections officers, transfers, you know, and different things like that. I mean, is that am I accurate with that? Um, yeah, I would I would generally uh, agree with that. Um, I will say that uh, prison chaplaincy is not for not for all chaplains. Um, some people that have worked in ministry before are or are called to uh, serve others uh, through ministry. Um, through their vocational ministry, they, you know, they uh, maybe they've been a, a pastor or leader at their at their local church, or they have been a hospital chaplain or, or something similar, and they get to the uh, correctional environment. Uh, 
and it's it might not be uh, exactly what they thought they signed up for in the fact that you know you're you're dealing with violent offenders and breaking mm-hmm. up fights and um, you know constant supervision of the inmate restroom thing, things like that that they you know dude I didn't sign up for this and so we do have a turnover rate uh, of chaplains so uh, they the, those that are um, that can kind of wade through that. Uh, they can't be a stabilizing presence. Uh, in fact, that, uh, you know, they have to find that balance. Uh, and, and just for the listeners out there, you know, I'm kind of, I guess, still a rookie chaplain, so I don't want to uh, make it sound like I've got it all figured out yet. But being a being a prison chaplain requires that uh, you find that, you know, that balance of uh, being approachable, being, uh, you know, a pastoral presence for the inmates. But at the same time, uh, being able to hold them accountable for the day-to-day uh, policies of the prison and, and kind of being, uh, you know, astute to any kind of manipulation that they might be trying to do uh, to you or to the other inmates or whatever. So you can kind of provide that, you know, that safe environment, you know, you know, yeah. so they're trying to hide weapons or drugs into the chapel so they can use later on. And we have to, we have to make sure that that area is safe um, and that other inmates, they feel safe when they come to there. Sure. They can practice their faith and they don't have to worry about uh, violence or, or, or um, anything that might come, you know, out of the day-to-day prison kind yeah. of drama. So we, that's, that's the balance that uh, we have to strive to, you know, to kind of, kind of meet there. That's a great description. Uh, really great clarity there, Ben. Uh, what do you enjoy most about what you do? Uh, I, I think, uh, it's kind of be able to just um, reflect God's love, uh, you know, reflect God's mission of reconciliation to the inmates uh, to, to let them know that uh, God's love doesn't know a prison wall. It doesn't know uh, razor wire or any kind of, any kind of electric uh, kill fence that might be there. That's not going to stop it. That, um, you know, when you can reflect that to an inmate, when you can kind of, kind of get them to um, I guess the, you know, to go back to discipleship, when you can help, uh, when you can help disciple other inmates, inmates, and, and make uh, make followers of Christ, that's definitely the, the most uh, rewarding thing about my job. Yeah, I can I can tell too. You know, and even as we've had numerous uh, offline discussions, you know, I, I can. It just seems like such a such a great fit. You know how God's provided a platform like this uh, for you, especially as it it pulls forward all of your experience, you know, working in a high security uh, prison facility. Um, okay. So let, let me, let me say this. I'm, I'm going to sort of steer our conversation here and I, I'm, I'm going to begin by a bit of disclosure. You're aware of this. I, I don't think our listeners are. Um, I have a relative uh, who I love very, very much. Uh, and they have spent what is now becoming the majority of their life uh, behind bars. They've been in detention facilities of one kind or another since they were actually a, a teenager. And uh, my wife and I pray for this person continually. Uh, he is, is housed in a high security uh, prison facility. He is in the restricted housing area. Uh, this place, this facility is difficult to get to, and it's difficult to get into as a visitor. Um, and COVID, of course, uh, over the last few years, especially at the onset, has really impacted our loved one uh, with regard to isolation. 
we worry about him. We're concerned for him. We, uh, we think about his mental health. Um, you know, we especially think of him come the holidays or his birthday. Anytime our, our extended family gets together, uh, there's an old saying that goes out of sight, out of mind. And I suppose there's a lot of truth to that. Um, we have to work, you know, to remind ourselves of, of this person and keep him at the forefront of our thoughts and prayers. And frankly, I, I believe that's, that's why the Bible addresses uh, the incarcerated, uh, you know, from, you know, the outside in, in the sense of reminding those who are uh, here on the outside, we, we have our freedom uh, to, uh, to really to minister and remember. There's a specific verse I know you're aware of in Hebrews chapter 13 uh, that specifically directs people of faith, people of Christian faith, to remember those who are in prison as though we were in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. You're a part of, of uh, the faith that, uh, that, that we share. So yeah. our hope for today's episode of the Resolutions Podcast, why we're so excited to have you on here, is to cause all of us to remember those who are in prison. And so we're going to intentionally call to mind uh, one of the most underserved and forgotten about groups uh, in our in our culture. So, uh, Ben, if you're game, uh, I think it would be super helpful if we looked at some popular notions, I think, that are, are held by the public at large regarding the prison population and let you comment on those ideas and probably debunk some of them. What do you think? I'm game. I like it. All right. All right. So these are in no particular order. Uh, these are just sort of things that I've, I've sort of grabbed and, and thought it would be really good to, to hear you comment on. So I think one of the first most widely uh, held beliefs uh, in, the, in the general uh, population uh, here in our culture in the U.S. is that the incarcerated are in prison to be punished. Uh, prison ministry only interferes with justice. What, what do you say about that? Uh, I, I completely disagree in the fact that prison ministry would um, get into the way or, or of justice. Justice, as far as how we, um, you know, we've kind of voted our laws, our laws here, our, our, our criminal justice system, is they are um, the inmates are kind of being obviously serving out their sentence there uh, as a consequence of what they've done. Um, you know, the prison ministry itself, uh, at least from the Protestant standpoint. Uh, helps kind of rearrange uh, the inmates uh, new perspective. It gives them a new perspective or, or new value system. Uh, you know, for, for me, obviously it's identity in Christ uh, that makes them a better citizen. Uh, and that's, that's true for people in general population that aren't incarcerated. You know, mm -hmm. when we can kind of stay rooted in Christ, I think we're um, in general uh, or actually completely just better citizens uh, altogether. Very opinionated about that and very passionate about that. But, I think for whether you're an incarcerated uh, individual or a, um, a person living in the free world, um, you are a better citizen if you have your identity in Christ. Uh, and, and I would like to add about that. You know, it's it's easy, um, you know, for even believers to, to kind of get that like hard heart with like, yeah, this dude did that or this woman did this and they deserve everything that got coming, you know, lock them up their way the key. Uh, you know, and I like to kind of uh, challenge people with uh, the parable of the vineyard workers mm. uh, in the gospel of Matthew, it's chapter 20. And, mm. and you know, you know, I'm not going to go through that whole, you know, through that whole parable, but 
um, the kingdom of heaven, you know, it, it isn't, um, it isn't our God's gift of grace and his, uh, his currency of forgiveness and grace is not uh, something for us to decide on how he spends it mm. on how he gives it away. Uh, it's his to do with what he wants. So, you know, those that come to know Christ um, after they've done some egregious crimes, while we might not kind of like want to ride with that, you know, that's how it is. And that's God's uh, decision. That's his to give away. And, and for his, it's his currency to give away. I'm sorry. And uh, for us, it's uh, we facilitate that uh, through humbleness and through uh, a server's heart uh, for those that come to know Christ. Uh, and it, again, not to get too wordy, but, it, you know, uh, I, and uh, I, I have been guilty of that myself. Um, you know, I, I've been watching that Netflix. They had that Jeffrey Dahmer uh, yeah. series on Netflix. And I, you know, it's hard for me to imagine, uh, you know, maybe Jeffrey Dahmer in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so, you know, I, I read a blog or something online where he um, professed Christ at the end of his, uh, the end of his time. And, uh, and while well, he was incarcerated and, you know, that's, you know, for me, that to be honest with you, that was difficult to kind of hear and imagine. Uh, you know, we think about people that have done things so egregious like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just, you know, you have to remind yourself we don't have the mental capacity uh, to to define God, to uh, comprehend his endless and unconditional love for those that he has yeah. created. Uh, so, you know, it, we can basically just stay out of the way of God's uh, his unlimited and um, unconditional grace when it comes to thinking about inmates. Yeah. Uh, Then that's such a good perspective. Uh, I think, um, I think by, by the latest uh, estimates, we've got over 2 million Americans incarcerated today. And, uh, and even just moving back from the extreme of of life sentences or prisoners who are in death row, 95% of prisoners will eventually be released. Right. And, uh, and their sentence is the justice. And so having, uh, you know, a, a, a voice of faith on the inside, you, you kept talking about discipleship, knowing who you are in Christ. Uh, you know, that is such a, a uh, that is such a proven path to rehabilitation. Um, I, I call to mind Proverbs 423 as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. And you've got an opportunity there to not only, um, you know, share the hope of the gospel, but you get to reformat the way a person understands themselves. You know, uh, you can change that inner narrative that actually, you know, caused the behavior that put them in prison in the first place. And so uh, that's that's such a good perspective that you just shared there with that. So I appreciate that 100 uh, percent. Let's talk about another perception um, or a common belief. Prisoners should have thought about their families before they broke the law. Their kids are not my responsibility. So we've sort of jumped from inside to outside, but it's very closely connected. What what do you see as far as, uh, you know, the the uh, the prisoners that you work with? uh, What's what's their sense of awareness of extended family and those on the outside there? Where are their heartstrings with that? What what are some of the things that you see and, and what would you comment uh, upon that, that common belief that I hear a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess to first to kind of touch on the common belief question and that prisoners should have thought about their families before they broke the law. I mean, I, I agree with that. Obviously I think anybody <laughs> probably would. Um, uh, 
the second part, their kids are not my responsibility. I mean, I, I'm assuming that that means, you know, we're talking about supporting them, whether it be through, um, you know, through maybe any kind of welfare program or anything like that. Uh, and I, I would challenge listeners again to think about, um, you know, having a hard heart towards uh, towards serving the uh, people that are less fortunate or don't have means to uh, meet their basic, um, you know, clothing, uh, food, shelter. You know, that, you know. Of course, as a church, we're called to uh, meet that. But I would say that you know, it's definitely not monolithic, and that all inmates are just sitting in their cell and. And thinking about their kids out there, man, I really miss them. Hope they're doing well. And there are some that it just drives them absolutely insane that they can't be with their kids. So, uh, you know, it, it is probably a pretty good um, reflection of general. I always say that the inmate population, um, while they have, well, they all share a lot of uh, a lot of commonalities, they also are a pretty diverse population, and that they uh, they aren't all the same, and, and kind of how they navigate life. So. Uh, you know, there are people in, in the free world that really don't think about their kids very often. Uh, right. And they might they might even live with their kids that they're not providing for their kids. And where you are, uh, you know, we're providing um, meals for them, people that can't afford meals through school lunch or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it again, I don't think that our hearts uh, for serving others should uh, recognize a prison wall or a razor wire just because. You know, their, you know, their biological parent has kind of committed a crime and is now serving the consequences for that. Uh, our heart to serve their their family, their children uh, shouldn't recognize uh, a wall, you know, because, like I said earlier, God's love kind of uh, obviously knocks down any kind of walls. That, and, and when I say walls, I mean physical prison walls <laughs> that that might be there to serve those that are incarcerated. Are, are- are prison ministries and, and chaplains, are they, are they often, um, you know, set up to be that liaison, uh, you know, that transcends between the, the jail cell and, um, and family care on the outside? Um, I, I, I would imagine if yes, then it's really underutilized. But, um, you know, that, what do you think about that as far as the opportunity of, of the local church faith communities being able to, um, you know, to adopt families, to give watch over kids, you know, to be, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the hands and feet of Christ, you know, to those families. What uh, does that, does that sort of opportunity exist? Um, do you see that? What's, what's that like? Well, the short answer for, um, for my uh, for my prison ministry team is we do not directly uh, deal with, uh, serving the, the inmate children outside. Uh, so that doesn't mean that we can't connect them with local congregations. We do do that through um, their case managers and through what we have a, a mentor coordinator that can kind of connect them. If they say an inmate's incarcerated in my area and um, he's from uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and he wants to uh, you know kind of get connected with a local congregation out there that can support his family, we can get him uh, information to do that, but we don't uh, actually uh, communicate with the families specifically. We have a couple of uh, volunteer ministries that do do that with certain things like Angel Tree, uh, Angel Tree Ministries. Uh, annually, they will um, kind of give us uh, the flyers and inmates will come to the chapel to fill those out and put down their, uh, you know, their children's names and address and what kind of Boy, they would like to select for their uh, for their 
child. Uh, we will send those out back to Angel Tree Ministries. And, and then, of course, uh, Angel Tree does the rest. So uh, ministries like that uh, on the outside of the prison uh, kind of help facilitate that. So if you're a listener and you and you do have a heart to serve, uh, you know, maybe a an inmate family on the street, you know, those kind of, those kind of ministries outside of the prison walls. Uh, there's, there are a plethora of them. Uh, I encourage that you get involved with something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good word. And, uh, and just knowing the limitations of, you know, what, what chaplains are able to do, but yet, you know, you could, that's a good referral, you know, right there that you just made in the show notes, we'll be sure to have angel tree. And it, of course, prison fellowship is so, so widely known, such a good organization. I got to know them up close and personal during my time in Loudoun County, Virginia, and we'll have, we'll have connections like that. So thanks for that insight. Uh, here's another common belief. Once a criminal, always a criminal. What say you? <laughs> that's a tough one. You're giving me some tough questions today. Uh, short answer again is no. Um, so if a person, uh, you know, we, we have that free will to always, um, you know, we've always got that fallen condition of humanity there. So is it possible that a person can always be a criminal? Absolutely. Obviously there, if they are, uh, you know, exercising that free will to do, uh, rebellion against God and to kind of, you know, stay in that, uh, lawbreaker identity, that way of life. Um, then surely they're always going to be a criminal. But um, I, I truly believe that a person uh, in Christ can uh, rearrange, like going back to an answer earlier, they can rearrange their value, their perspectives, uh, and, and to um, be out into the free world uh, and facilitate, I'm sorry, and to stay as a, um, you know, as a free person, a free man, a free woman uh, out in general free world. Yeah, well, along those lines, let's let's talk about, you know, the prep work that you're able to do with with prisoners who are open, you know, to spiritual guidance. Yeah. And, you know, as they're as they're closing out their sentencing, maybe they're up for parole. It's looking really positive for them. And uh, I can tell you again firsthand, uh, it is it's difficult, uh, if not impossible, sometimes uh, when a person makes parole uh, to uh, to step into a good transition zone where they're set up for a win on the outside, where there's there's tangible progressive steps that they can fall into that will secure a job, that will secure housing, that will secure you know the basic needs. Um, and I think sometimes it's a common belief, uh, you know, among people who don't have any experience, uh, you know, with uh, with family members who've been incarcerated or just even in the, the penal system in general. Yeah, that they they believe that ex-cons uh, should take responsibility of their own lives. It's up to them to find a job, to keep a job, to be a good citizen. But for the prep work that that a that a prison chaplain does on the inside, uh, you know, speaking to Christians on the outside, you know, whether that's uh, churches or uh, you know nonprofits, whatever, uh, what can we do uh, to be more complementary to the life transformation and discipleship that you're talking about on the inside? Well, that is also a very a good question and also kind of complex and. And so let me answer it kind of in a different way. Um, so when an inmate is um, about to release, maybe they're maybe they're a skilled inmate and, and uh, they have a, a labor trade or they have an education and, and they're going to get out. 
uh, a prison and they're going to maybe go to a halfway house in that initial kind of six months that they get out. You know, the challenge obviously is for that person uh, to kind of to get on their feet, uh, kind of get get a direction of where they're going to go as far as employment and housing and uh, providing their own basic needs a lot of times. Um, you know, if they have it, if they have a family system, that's a different story. But a lot of times they do not. So uh, an inmate came to me and he said, uh, listen, Chaplain Ben, you know, I'm, I'm going to this halfway house back in my hometown. I know everything about it right across the street. He's been there before. He, he, he re-violated. So he, you know, he gets uh, right back out into the halfway house and he says, he thinks dude set up on the other side of the street and trying to sell heroin, trying to sell crack, trying to sell cocaine. And he was an opioid addict. You know, so, you know, it starts at day one with how can we do, how can we kind of uh, support inmates, you know, in transition, you know, and I would say being more involved in your community, uh, understand your community. If at a local level, if your community has a, uh, a high, um, a high a percentage of opioid uh, users and opioid um, or any kind of drug in general, any kind of um people that are trafficking narcotics, be involved, uh, vote for the correct people uh, that will allocate um, funds for law enforcement or treatment centers that will help get people out of that cycle. You yeah. kind of know your area. So when you're sending these inmates out back out into the free world uh, to a halfway house where they can get heroin across the street, uh, you are, you know, we as a, as a, uh, a community make an extra hurdle for them. So again, how can we particularly do that, you know, and that is to be more involved with your community. Uh, you know, we just can't just kind of do our own thing, nine to five, come home and stare at a screen and go to bed and hope everything that uh, in, our, in our own community is just kind of be copacetic and, uh, you know, peachy, so to speak. We're going to have to get involved and do that kind of do that, that hard work to keep people uh, engaged out there as far as staying on the right track. Now, uh, as far as connection, so again, this particular inmate, he, his plan was, okay, I, he, he was skilled. I think he did HVAC or something. So his plan was, as soon as it got out of the halfway house, you know, he, he was going to do HVAC at the halfway house. Uh, he was going to save up money to get a car. He was going to just drive far away from his hometown where he didn't know anybody that sold drugs or any of his old circles. He was going to live in his car so he could save up enough money you know, to, to get an apartment, you know? And so when I, when I hear that, I like, I like to tell people that story uh, because that's kind of this, this guy was determined, you know, this was his plan here to stay clear of opioid addiction and to stay out of those circles of, um, you know, stay out of those circles of whatever narcotics that he was in before so that he could just be a free person, you know, that he could right. just live life outside of the walls. Uh, so it's important to understand like the hurdles that uh, these people that, uh, were addicted or whatever, you know, that, you know, that might, they might have. So of course, you know, we can pray for them uh, as we're called to uh, regularly daily, but also again, be involved in your community, you know, be understand what's happened at the halfway houses right. in your area, understand uh, the criminal justice system in your area, the lawmakers in your area and vote on your local, uh, on your local area, law enforcement and, and leadership. Yeah, that's you're right. It's a comprehensive uh, answer to a complex issue. Right. And, uh, you know, I would just encourage uh, listeners who may be pastors, uh, you know, just, you know, that's my background. 
And I remember learning how difficult it is, you know, for a person to do just exactly what you described, because one of the difficulties, depending upon how long you've been incarcerated or what you may have been, what, what the charges were, you may not have a license when you get out. Right. And, uh, and public transportation may not be something uh, that is conducive to, uh, you know, to the beginning uh, job that you that you secure. And so, you know, pastors who are listening, we're, you know, this is not something to add on to your shepherding role, uh, you know, per se, unless it's something that you feel very passionate about and can carve out the time. But who do you know? Uh, you know, in your congregation who, you know, are the people who can provide the initial support for people who are transitioning. Uh, I would also just encourage listeners, you know, Christians who like even right now, they're, they're, they're maybe being stirred in their heart. Do you know where the halfway homes, where the tra- transitional homes are exactly, in, yep. your, in your hometown, in your, in your community, in your county? Do you, do you know who the parole officers are? you know, that are appointed uh, by the courts? Do you, do you know the people who will be the interface uh, with, uh, with those who are looking to have a fresh start uh, on the outside? And perhaps that's the best way to step in and to see how we can help. You know, how can we not just be a voice of faith, but we can be, uh, you know, as the Bible says, that paraclete, uh, the one that comes alongside and acts as that encourager. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, am I in the ballpark with that? Yeah, absolutely. I I think you hit a home run with it. Actually, I, I, I you know, a lot of times, you know, how can we get involved? We we don't like the um, the drug and crime epidemics in our communities. You know, maybe you um, you don't know how to get involved, but I, I think just awareness and involvement and in, in all those areas that you just hit there, um, I think that's a great starting point. All right, man. Well, we'll, we'll again, we're going to have some some good suggestions in the show notes to, to direct people uh, throughout our listening audience. Um, here's another common belief I'd like for you to uh, to talk about. Uh, this will directly, uh, I, I believe, hit your job description. Um, people shy away from the idea of uh, volunteering for prison ministry. Uh, they, they don't want to hear that because the, the notion is if I went behind bars as a volunteer, I wouldn't be able to relate. I'm just not not cut out to interface with that type of culture or uh, or individual. What what say you? So I think that it is uh, you know practical that people might have those um, those fears or those preclusions that they they don't want to volunteer that they can't relate. Uh, and so when you have that, you know you want to you know you want to find a common ground. You know we have generational gaps, we have geographical um, gaps and those that we serve, but what do we have in common? Uh, you know, obviously it is Christ, you know, unity and maturity in the body of Christ, you know, so that is uh, something that I say that we can always go to as far as a common ground. Um, you know, when we talk about building up the church, uh, you know, uh, going back to Ephesians 4, you know, Paul talks about you know, be completely humble and gentle. You know, when he talks about serving others uh, and unity and maturity in the body of Christ, yeah, he doesn't necessarily list a, you know, be exactly like everybody, you know, everyone has to be the same. Everybody wear the same stuff. Everybody have the same interest. Everybody kind of do the same thing. He doesn't men- mention that uh, in Ephesians 4. He does mention just be completely humble and gentle. And so I think if you have that as your starting point when you go in to serve uh, and, to, uh, and to kind of be that. Uh, that tangible reflection of God's love that uh, transcends any kind of physical barriers to inmate. 
I think you'll be kind of empowered to um, not or get, get rid of that fear that might stop you from coming in. Uh, the volunteers that I deal with uh, at the prison that I work at, they, they often tell me, actually, they frequently tell me that they get more out of it. Um, they feel like it encourages them in their faith um, as much as they feel like um, the inmates get out of it. So, you know, my local church, uh, our church does some uh, short term mission trips in the last couple of years. We've done some mission trips across the across the globe. And to hear those uh, hear those members testimony, just how, how they got so much out of it. You know, it puts me at a uh, at a remembrance or at a reflection of those that come in to volunteer at the prison that I work in. You know, so maybe you're a person, you're a listener out there that, you know, you've you've had interest in a, in a mission trip or whatever through your local church, uh, whether it be, you know. In a different continent or not, you just you can't make it happen because of your work, because of your uh, your you know, your family responsibilities, whatever it is, you just can't go mm-hmm. to, you can't go to Europe for two weeks in the summer. You would like to, but you can't, yeah. you know, I, I challenge you to be open-minded to prison uh, volunteer ministry. Uh, you can, you know, there's a lot of ways you can get involved, but that's mission trips right here in your local area. So if you feel called to serve in your local area, uh, like I did, you know, that's one way that you can, you know, that you can do that. And, you know, uh, you know, I would imagine that you will be uh, like those that have done the mission trips uh, in the prison ministries in, in my area, that it'll be as encouraging for you and your own faith uh, as it will be for those that you're serving. Yeah, great word. And you're not encouraging people to uh, cannonball into the deep end. Uh, but uh, but again, wait out and, uh, you know, you know, just be uh, just be uh, open, be curious and uh, and make those uh the secure first connections to uh, to get you uh, oriented with uh, what the, what is the need of the particular jail or regional jail or uh, you know whatever the facility is that you feel drawn to. Yeah. Um, okay, so we're we're going to wrap up here. Uh, I just appreciate your time so much. I got I got a couple of couple of questions I want to ask. Um, the first one has to do with the you know when this particular episode of the Resolutions Podcast will be will be dropped, will be aired. We're, we're talking a holiday season of 2022, Christmas. Um, and, you know, I, I would like to know, you know, what, what is Christmas like on, on the inside? Uh, is that a difficult time, uh, you know, for, for inmates? Is it just another day? But, uh, but what, what significance does this particular time of year have on, on those who, uh, you know, who, who are behind bars? I think it's significant um, because they, you know, obviously they're isolated um, from the free world. They're separated from their family, from their loved ones. Uh, so, you know, what I found even, um, you know, in our, in our country here, even people that don't profess Christ that aren't, aren't necessarily believers in Christianity, you know, um, you, you know, the day of Christmas, you know, it, it kind of draws people together uh, in general, as far as families are concerned and, and loved ones. And so then for not those that can't be with their families, uh, it will add to the, their depression, uh, you know, that they're incarcerated and they can't connect with them. So I think that, you know, for us as chaplains, we try to have, um, you know, weekly um, services throughout the week of Christmas and, and uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, to just to try to uh, put them in, um, you know, a better spirit to work their music, obviously, through 
uh, you know, remembrance in Christ. Are, are there anything uh, particular, any things I should say particular uh, that, uh, that inmates look forward to as far as communication or, you know, from the outside uh, during this time of year? I would imagine cards from their family or, or their loved ones, so to speak, would, uh, you know, be lifting them up. Uh, it'll lift their spirits up. Uh, our inmates at the facility that I'm at, they can, uh, they can email uh, some of their family now. So, you know, as we move into 2023 here, a lot of people just email their family and all of that. But, you know, it's, it's the same. Again, you know, it's the same for our, uh, our people on the streets here, our people in the free world. Just the simple thinking of you. Uh, hope you're doing well this season, you know, can really mean a lot to somebody. Uh, so, you know, do, you know, not only if you know someone in prison, you know, send them that card, send them that email, send them that uh, anything that you might be able to send them. And, and I challenge the listeners to think about the same here for their loved ones that they might not have contact with. They live in a different state or they, they they've been estranged uh, for whatever reason, you know, to have that humble heart towards yeah. that person here just to send them that text, send them that, or call them. Hey, thinking of you, yeah. hope well, hope all is well. I love you. You know, that can really, uh, that can be very impactful and very encouraging for somebody that might be going through a valley of their life, you know, in a difficult season, uh, even through the Christmas season. Right. Such a good word. Yeah. I, I know that it's a bit controversial, uh, if we put money on a, on a inmate's account with their commissary, yeah. Uh, with what that may be used. But I, I would just say another thing that uh, that I know that uh, that my family likes to do is, uh, you know, you can you can pay uh, for a nice meal and uh, in, a, in a lot of pr- prison facilities. And so that that's something, too, you know, that people may want to do, uh, you know, to have just sort of an out of out of the ordinary meal. Uh, for uh, for a person who's on the inside as as well, I think that's I think that's all really really good insight there that you're offering, uh, Ben. Um, okay, so here's the, here's the last one. Here's the wrap up question: um, How can people support chaplains? How how can uh, you know? You're passionate about what you do. I, I you know I get the privilege to hear about it. I, I know it's a very meaningful. Uh, service that you provide, uh, personally satisfying, but, uh, you know, how can, how can we, uh, be encouragers, uh, supporters, cheerleaders, uh, you know, for, for those who hold these chaplain positions? That's an excellent question for wrap up, uh, first and foremost prayer. I mean, you know, that's, that's the, that's the first and foremost, you can pray for everybody that serves, uh, in a prison ministry, uh, often, um, you know, that they're in a dangerous place, uh, pray for their safety, uh, pray that they are um, able to reflect God's love and God's grace uh, to those that they are serving, that they that they have clarity of mind when they might be leading a group or leading mm-hmm. a, um, a leading a, a worship service, that they are just they're able to do that and that uh, they can find balance in their regular regular um, life to, to try to do that and that they can find that balance of both security uh, mindedness and being pastoral. I think that's good. You know, for me to, to make it personal, I've had a great support system, uh, in my own, in my own circles, my local church, uh, the yeah. pastors in my local church have, have supported me, uh, clear through seminary, clear through, uh, internship at a hospital, uh, clear, 
uh, through uh, prison ministry. So if you're a, a pastor and you are listening, if someone in your congregation wants to get involved, uh, support them and, and know that maybe maybe going inside a prison wall is not for you, but a person in your congregation is uh, has a heart to do that. You can support them however you can. Uh, if you're someone that might be interested in volunteering, you can you can obviously get involved that way. You know, communicate with your uh, prison chaplain and uh, kind of get uh, any kind of information you might be able to get. Yeah, that's a great word. Thanks so much. Our, our guest today has been Chaplain Ben. And Ben, thanks for for your time today. Thanks for your insight. Thanks for your service. And just uh, just thanks for doing what you do. It's been such a privilege uh, to, to have you on and to introduce our listeners to you and to just really receive what I think is just going to be uh, insight that's going to be a blessing. So that's a wrap on another episode of the Resolutions Podcast. We hope you've found this particular episode to be thought-provoking and helpful for the Christmas season. For more information on how you can support or get involved with ministries and nonprofits who care for those incarcerated and their families, check out the show notes. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another Christmas episode of the Resolutions Podcast. So thanks for listening. As always, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and give us a positive rating on your podcast platform of choice. You know, the, the Resolutions Podcast is a free resource. We, we desire to serve as many people as possible, and you can help us do that by sharing our podcast with others on your social media posts, by subscribing to this podcast, and give us a positive review. If you're reluctant to do so, Hit us up and let us know what we can do better. Thanks. So until next time, I'm Chris Campbell, wishing you and yours a blessed holiday season.